0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. We bring you the very best recorded panels, workshops, and seminars concerning role-playing game design and publishing. This has been made possible by the generous contributions
1: of the panel speakers and double exposure with their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 71 Explicit vs. Role-Based Knowledge Recorded at Meditopia 2014 Presented by Shane Harsh, Clark Valentine, and Evan Turner
2: some brief introductions of just who we are, and then uh, we'll, we'll launch. And this is really meant to be more of a conversation, not, not just amongst us. Um, th- this is a topic that uh, I, I hold near and dear to my heart uh, and really want to explore, uh, and to a certain extent. Maybe maybe this is therapy. Maybe I'm seeking help. <laughs> uh, you know, really want to help to fight my way out of the paper bag, as it were. Uh, but I want to understand what's on the other side of the paper bag before I do so. So this is uh, explicit versus role-based knowledge in games. And I'm Shane Harsh from Legendsmiths. Uh, and I, the, the games that, that I have written are really great. Really solidly grounded uh, in explicit knowledge, um, and I have an anecdote that I'll share later on uh, from one of my own playtest games, which really kind of drove my topic, my 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 drive to uh, to have this conversation. Um, and my background is also as a linguist, uh, applied linguistics. And, uh, you know, one of the most fascinating things for me when I was working on my setting was putting together the language and the cultures and, you know, the linguistic anthropology associated with those cultures and how it evolved and on and on and on. And then, you know, to see that over the course of years and years of gaming and go, wow, that's really never come up. <laughs> but, but it's awesome, right? <laughs> so so that's, that, that's me in a nutshell and why I'm here.
1: Okay, so hi, I'm Evan Torner, and uh, I'm here in a sort of representative capacity for our online journal, uh, Analog Game Studies. But um, it, so you can just go to analoggamestudies.org and, and uh, find some of our articles. We're a monthly uh, publication. Um, the, uh, the, my, my sort of engagement with this particular topic is uh you know I've I've written several essays on uh transparency and uncertainty in R- RPGs how they function on a design level and then the other uh capacity is that we have this um, hybrid tabletop larp thing called the parlor sandbox um it's 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 a technique of of implementing larp and of course it is directly dealing with explicit role role-based tensions right mm-hmm. of basically your character is awesome why can't they do this and wait a minute uh you, there are things you don't know mm-hmm. and and how much transparency can permit players to then limit themselves uh in, in what they're you know constrain their own options mm-hmm. rather than me telling them what they can and can't do
0: mm-hmm. uh i'm clark valentine with uh, evil hat productions uh i I run and write for Fate a lot, and Fate has this tendency to say, "Yeah, you have an aspect that justifies knowing that, so you know that." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I'm here to be the one who says that a lot, and um, <laughs> also to uh, to to
2: learn from your guys' experience. Um, so, right, All right. excellent. So I've got a couple of points, key points that I want to I want to dive into, but the first one um right before you had arrived Evan Clark and I were dancing around a topic which is actually the relationship when we when we look at explicit knowledge versus role based knowledge you know that's that's a particular use case if you will um that I believe is really part of the whole resource management and planning bubble right do i have the necessary thing in my backpack did i properly plan for this is that a fun aspect of the game right and certainly, um, as the game, as games have evolved, that was that was a critical component of the of the initial experience. It's, so it
1: sounds like what you're saying is that that it's not so much about knowledge, but mm-hmm. about uh, affordances that you get. You know, it's, it's, it's so so explicit knowledge being you know, it, uh, also encapsulated in "I have the wrench that I needed."
2: Exactly. You know. Exactly. And so, to some extent, um, you know, when I, when I look at my my personal experience working on Neurosia, which is built on the Hero system, which is a system of thirty-year pedigree, which is thoroughly grounded in in that original model. Um, I think some of that just necessarily is an artifact. Um, whether or not it should be there is is a different, and whether I want it to be there or not. But so I think that's that. That let, let's start with that. Is how do you identify? within the game that you're writing, whether or not that, that, that planning aspect or the resource management aspect should or should not be an essential component of the experience you're trying to create? Are there any triggers that you, you can clearly see where, yes, that would be fun, or no, for this, you know, for this type of game, you know, it's something we should avoid? Well, that's that's a matter of
0: knowing the people you're playing with, I mm-hmm. think, and uh, are they the sorts of people who love reading the gear chapter in mm-hmm. whatever game you're about mm-hmm. to play? Who love read? Who really get into uh, setting mastery? I, mm-hmm. I really, I, I really want to know the details of this setting. Mm-hmm. Um, or are they the sort of person, the sort of player who, yeah, gear? I'll just you know, I'm a, I, I'm a fighter. I'm going to have a, you know whatever fighters have. I'm going to have the whetstone to keep my sword sharp. I'm going to have the you know the what you know whatever I, I would you would expect somebody who's competent at the role that I've chosen mm-hmm. to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if 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 I'm thinking about this in the context of preparation and what stuff you have with you, mm-hmm. but it, this also applies to knowledge of
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know the character knowledge of, of people and, and and that kind of detail. So it, I think you sh- know what your group's preferences are. Know what your own preferences are, mm-hmm. and. Talk about it before you before you start world building. Before you start the the campaign creation.
1: Yes, yeah, so, so I guess my intervention on this is that uh, we have. Um you know, transparency of information, which is just all the information that everything said, mm-hmm. that that it's recorded, that people agree upon in the fiction, and and just anything we, we have, a, any possible information we have about um, the characters, as as a confluence of the sheets and the rule book and whatever. And then we have transparency of expectations, which is that everybody is all on the same page, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And says, well, you know, um, even though my character sheet claims I have a ten foot pole. Um, you know, I, I'm crawling in this tunnel. Can I? Can I really justify the mm-hmm. fact that I have the 10 foot pole that I then need for the thing I'm at, outside of the tunnel? Right. So, so, so the, the, this kind of of negotiation of the physics of the world based on um, agreed upon fiction versus the fact that well, it's kind of silly if I can't go on if I don't have my 10 foot pole. Um, you know, so. I, I, the the angle we've tried in the parlor sandbox is they're they're usually genre based larp's we do like cyberpunk vampires, um, spaceships, uh, pulp fantasy, and uh, we just assume that they have all they, they can do most every regular thing and when we're at at the point where they want to do something a little more powerful that's going to have a a, a more lasting impact, they're going to then. Generate the information necessary, and, and, it's, and it's their job to make sure it's, it's properly persuasive on the expectation level. So, for example, in um, Bloodnet, our cyberpunk vampire LARP, we we actually have people write out their programs. You know, if a, if a hacker who says, i I want I want to break into something," I say, "Great, show show that to me," and 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 then, and then the players can choose then what the programming language. Mm-hmm. They're using looks like They have to engage though mm-hmm. so, 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 so then they're effectively doing creative work mm-hmm. That then to us Broadcasts a signal of how We should you know Push back against them or not And it mm-hmm. gives them an activity And they're actually to some degree hacking You know and, yeah. I, mean, I mean they're doing the Character's damn activity for mm-hmm. 5 or 10 minutes um, We, we, we they, they know it or not and, and, and so after that labor What they've said is true and we we have to incorporate that into our own system, which of course is tough because it has to be very agile.
2: Right. <laughs> well, I think I think uh, I think one of the things you identified there, you know, based off walking through that, is you know your 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 final line there of what they said is true, right? And it it seems to me that that there is a component here that is that is all about failure right the lack of knowing something or the lack of having the right object is is an explicit failure for the situation you're in um and there's there's an element of of simulation there you know the example that you that you gave about having the 10-foot pole and and crawling down the tunnel well what happens when that tunnel turns 90 degrees sideways right your 10-foot pole at that point is gone you're going to have to break it or go back right and as a simulation that's potentially interesting if that's a component of the game if it's not then it seems to me and, and this is going to my next point it seems to me that that's breaking some sort of contract right that what governs what you do have or know right? is, that, is that powered by consensus or by framework so if, if you were, if you were yeah. playing through that scene where, okay, you're, you're crawling through the sewer tunnels, you know, the storm drains, and finally you come out, you know, in one area that's going to allow you to get to where you want to go, that's fantastic. You can get there and say, okay, well, now I pull out my ladder and I climb up yeah. to, the, mm-hmm. to the sewer. You're like, wait a minute. That, that's, I realize that even perhaps from a role perspective, you're the guy who has everything, but a ladder is just ridiculous
1: yeah i mean in some ways the bag of holding is this is this object that <laughs> that, that that allows us to hand wave so many different uh, is, issues of,
0: of you know right. uh, narrative <sighs> physics um yeah that's well it, and that's the sort of thing that i, I tend to solve with consensus mm-hmm. rather than a framework cuz i i tend to play systems where i don't need i don't really want to worry about Okay, you're going through the. How wide is the tunnel, and and that that level of detail is not something that my, that the people that I tend to game with are are mm-hmm. interested in tracking.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but we might throw out a complication.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, there. Oh well, you know, when you were crawling through the the HVAC system, don't you think you had to leave? You know, your, you know, your ladder back mm-hmm. in the. Like oh yeah okay now how am I going to get around that and right. if you can do that as an interesting complication rather than as a showstopper or a, a, a violation of the contract as you said mm-hmm. uh, that can that can make the game very interesting as long as the player doesn't feel like they got cheated or they got oh you pulled a fast one on me and not in a good way
2: right. um, yeah and, and who gets and, the who gets the fake point for that complication yes well, yes right. Yes, <laughs> right. Bring an idea, but yeah. I'm paying him. Yeah. Oh, well,
1: yeah. <laughs> and, and and this is an issue that you you encounter when um, you know in, in again the power of sandbox we, we have arbitrary um, resistance, right? Where where our, our job as the GMs, what we call counter players, right? We're not we're we're also players, but we're playing against the other players. How far mm-hmm. back should we push? And mm-hmm. and that ha- it always has to be consensual, yeah. right? It, it, like so, I mean, because the framework again is the, you know, some sort of larger rule structure or set of ethics or whatever. But when you're in it, and you have somebody who's who's narrating this thing, and you don't want to cockblock them, uh, you know, how how far do you let them succeed to then to the point where you said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this to you, and hopefully this will make your life interesting, mm-hmm. right? Rather than hopefully I'm not just taking your idea and throwing it away and replacing it with my idea Um, and and that that i think is is the sort of art of um you know saying your role will let you get this far and now you're in a dramatically interesting situation and Mm -hmm. you as a player have to make a a decision about Mm -hmm. how this will proceed and that decision cannot be just role-based it it, it, you have you 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 have it will fundamentally affect your values so even if, if you don't have a ladder, how you overcome the next obstacle will show us something about your character or deepen the character.
2: Right. So um, I'm going to share my story that, that really was the, the epiphantical moment where uh, I wanted to have this conversation. And we're playing Erosia, we're, we're, we're deep into the adventure, one of the characters very interesting character um you know is 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 an incredible scholar on top of all the other things so he's an atypical scholar but he has all this scholarly knowledge and of course you know since it's an explicit system he's got a list of knowledge skills you know as long as his arm um several languages you know he's a linguist all that kind of stuff and we get into the situation and just completely by accident just by the nature of the story he presented a situation and he didn't speak that language right and so suddenly um, and, and you know recognizing that as a GM this is a potential error for me um, fully acknowledging that but here we have the situation of, of uh, uh, someone in a point based system who has invested right. a significant portion of his character in knowing shit and gets into this one pinnacle moment and it's derailed by the fact that he doesn't know the one thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, up to that point, the game has been made interesting by this collection of knowledges and how they interact and all that kind of stuff. But now it comes to a screeching halt because we, you know, we we fell into one of the pitfalls. And so how do we how do we capture you know, building consensus and saying yes, we think he should know that. That's fine, but how do we also reflect that? That's an investment on his character's part, and how do we also avoid breaking reality? Go well. Now I suddenly know this language that I never knew before. You know.
0: Well, there's a lot of interesting um, uh, precedent for that very situation in a lot of genre fiction that mm-hmm. the thing that immediately comes to my mind is uh, in the, the film The Fellowship of the Ring mm-hmm. when, when the fellowship is going through Moria and they get to this point and Gandalf goes I don't know where we are mm-hmm. I, this is taking Gandalf's strength of knowledge and experience and he's been wandering around for a thousand years and he's been there and done that and I got nothing I don't know so what do you do when your strength fails you? Mm-hmm. Is can be very interesting. What do you, do you fall back on? What's your secondary strength? What's your what else do you have in your bag of tricks? That can be very interesting to, to have a player think on their feet and oh uh, uh, maybe one of the maybe it's time for one of the other players to step up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can be done very interestingly as long as it doesn't feel to the player like a violation of the contract, like a I just had the rug pulled out from under me in a distinctly unfun way. Uh, and there's no hard and fast rules f- for what makes it unfun. That really depends. you got to know your players. you got to know your group. It's a lot safer to do that with the group you've been playing with for five or six years than it is to do that at a con game where you don't know if the person's going to get ticked off or...
2: Oh, yeah. Well, and, and and certainly that you know that's 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 what I'm trying to capture, and what I see is interesting. And if I can just get you to uh, rebut and not have uh, Siri try to correct the spelling of Gandalf, um, <laughs> I think that's also a very perfect moment of where I'm wondering why, in a role-based knowledge system built on consensus, you would get to that point. And, you know, the character that wants mm-hmm. to shine in that moment, I think would ha- it, I think it, that would have to be some kind of a, a very mature individual to say, you know what, this time I'm going to choose to fail. Right. Because otherwise he, he would have no reason to. Right. I know all the things, even if I have to spend a fate point to know this one thing. Right. That's my job, so I'm going to do it, and so I do it.
0: I think in a role-based system, that almost needs to be player-driven. Mm-hmm. That needs to come from the player saying, I think it would be really interesting if I failed here. And because I think one of the hobbits,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think it's time for you to step up. So yeah, almost I like it's in a
2: Cortex Plus, like earn a plot point if right. your knowledge fails right, you. Right, exactly. Something yes, like that. Yes.
1: I think, uh, it, yeah, I I think that. A lot of plot points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I would say you, you can
1: you can directly incentivize uh, playing to lose behavior, and we've now you know in the last ten years I think gone that right. route explicitly in game design. Um, one thing, of course, is that in that moment where you have uh, the linguist who's invested lots of points in um, languages and suddenly doesn't know it, uh, mm-hmm. there's um, an issue where where player creation, sorry, character creation is also a game, right? Even if it, and, and, and uh, that player lost that initial game if they are suddenly at this point where they don't know this language, right? Right? right, right like there is Oops. there is player failure. In there, even though there shouldn't be, right? I mean, they're just encountering the, the, the borders of their knowledge. But by them dumping a bunch of points into these various languages that may or may not come into being, they're, they're bo- both you know, um, say articulating specific capabilities, but also making a general point about what their character can do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, 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 this is why it, I mean, RPG designers have had many solutions for this. I can remember the Shadowrun skill tree, where you go through the different orbs of difficulty um i think it's like Shadowrun huh. third um uh edition so like if you have a handgun skill but no rifle skill then you, you take minus two uh to cross yeah, yeah. To, to cross over general competency versus specific competency. Yeah. Ex- exactly and 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 so yeah, that was the sort of brute force method and of course now i think we're actually like we, we would we, we prefer characters to acknowledge the limits of 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 where you know where they cut off, and you want to dignify that they're that they're awesome in this role, and that then suddenly, okay, now now you're at a point where it has to become interesting. How are you as the player not going to perceive this as failure, and 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 instead push it in, 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 in towards another player character or mm-hmm. push it um, into a more interesting character development? Mm-hmm.
3: So this is the kind of thing that would probably tick me off if I were your player. my GM knows it very well. Um, I think part of it would be, depending on how character creation went, did I explicitly choose my languages based on experiences that I imagined as part of my background? Or did I choose them totally arbitrarily, having no idea where this adventure was going to go? Mm-hmm. If it was just a... I guess I take these three and then the one language you throw at me is the one that I don't know I'm going to be ticked mm-hmm. because it was just luck of the draw you've, you know kept me from fulfilling my character concept for no reason that I can fathom, Right. and so that would really bother me. On the other hand, had I explicitly decided I'm not taking that language and here's why right. then I have a reason to, you know, to interact with that failure um, so I think part of it comes from, from that kind of thing. Does it feel like? Does it feel like it was actually choices you made, or a lack of options, a lack of information or, yeah, that led uh, you to where you were? Un,
0: uh, un- uninformed choices at character yeah. creation, rather than um, yeah, informed choices. And, and
3: and I
2: and I think when you when you look at a campaign-driven game. Um, you know, drawing on Shadowrun as an example. Okay, well, we're going to start playing Shadowrun. So I sit down and I make my guy, make 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 my character. And you know, we're six months into the game, and now I'm presented with this challenge. It's the first time that say languages are involved or whatever, and I don't speak the language. I'm like, yeah, but you know, I did buy four different languages. I just didn't know what languages would matter at the time. You know, um, and so I think that that is a lot of what I'm talking about is it's a challenge for those explicitly defined systems so is there you know is there essentially a like a like a meta system that you can overlay on top of that to say yes, we're going to have all this explicit knowledge, but you know if you've got in hero system you've got these skill enhancers mm-hmm. linguist, scholar, traveler, jack of all trades right. If something you know, you could almost say, if something falls into that wheelhouse, then you can adjust or at least get something on the fly, so that you're not left holding the bag. One of
0: one of my favorite techniques when I'm running Fate is, especially for new characters, um, leave a slot or three on their blank. Mm-hmm. You don't have to fill out your entire skill pyramid at the beginning. You don't have to. What languages do I know? Oh. Well, you know you know 4 pick 2 now and leave 2 for yes of course you just happen to speak Urdu mm-hmm. of course because you know of course you do, um, do that in D&D too. We've yeah yep yeah. um, and that gets you like a get out of failure free you know that many times right <laughs> but after that it's sort of a well okay look uh, <laughs> this if we're playing an explicit system and you know I can't remember the terminology you use but I, mm-hmm. I think I know where you're going for there um if we're playing that kind of system, there's going to be times when, you know, your little dots that you put do not line up. And, well, that's the system we're playing. And so, yeah, right. failure happens. Um, or, or simple incapability, right? You, you're staring at
1: something that, that wasn't even on the valence of the choices that you thought you had. right?
0: Um, Which can then lead to, it can lead the, the game in, in uh, unexpected directions of, oh, damn, we need to go hire a, an interpreter. How are you going to find a reliable interpreter? Um, and maybe that's an interesting side quest, or maybe it's not. Maybe you just hand wave, okay, yeah, you go to town, you find an interpreter, you come back. Okay, now... Um,
2: no, I, I think, you know, at least the, the, takeaway, the takeaway for me is, that, that I think strikes a happy medium is, is there a way that I can qualify or identify these roles within an, an explicit-based... Knowledge or skill system, and 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 then you leverage those roles in a player-driven model to say, "Well, I now have agency and some kind of metagame currency mm-hmm. to say I can do this because of my role, or I'm choosing not to be able to do this because I think it would be interesting." Right, and and to then put it on the player, um, but still while leveraging, you know, the 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 model that you've built, the classification systems that you so
0: built. you could do something like a once per milestone, once per mm-hmm. session, once per whatever you know arbitrary mm-hmm. period. Uh, I get to say, look, I'm this role. I just fix this. Mm-hmm. This I just do this. I just know. I happen to know a guy. Whatever the situation is, uh, that that's that's one option where you give everybody a card that they can turn in and mm-hmm. say, I'm cashing this one in for. I just happened to have. The right thing, mm-hmm. uh, because my guy would have would have known that. That's, I mean, that's a little ham fisted, mm-hmm. but you know, if it if it doesn't happen over and over again, mm-hmm. that that's one way to one way to address it, where you still have the explicitness that that many players love.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and 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 I, you know, am mostly uh, from like a sort of unknown army school of thought, where like, you know all of your skills have some sort of cinematic resonance to them. Like, you know, you, 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 your fighting skill does not say fighting. It says, like, you know, bringing it home from Papa or something like that. And so, so there's a whole already um, set of uh, expectations that come with, with the different skills that you have. Mm-hmm. And and with that is the gray area of other competencies. Right. And, and um uh, in in Un-An Armies, there are three different levels of roll. One is the no roll at all, like, jerk, you, you can do that. Then there's the,
3: hmm,
1: uh, I'm going to put a... I, I'm okay with injecting a little doubt into this equation. Mm-hmm. And then they roll against their stat, and they only actually roll against their skills, which are usually hovering about 30% uh, mm. in, in, when it's a dark alley and it's raining and someone's at, coming at them with a knife. And then, and then they're in an intense situation, and they have to fly by the seat of their pants according to skill. And, that, and then the failure is both really, you know, it, it's probably going to happen. Like, the, 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 the player emotion is, I guess, at the center of, of what, I, what I'm saying. Where, mm-hmm. where you know, um, it's, it, it, you can see then this three-tiered system as a way for, for me to say, here are the emotional stakes for, for this, or at least what I interpret as the emotional stakes. And then the skill tree itself... And I can push that aside a little bit, and, and, uh, and instead, um, you know, just just calculate what um, what level of challenge they're facing and how stressed they should feel about
0: it as a player. Okay, that's fantastic. Are there any questions? Any comments? Any yeah, anecdotes? I,
4: I, I'm wondering because we're talking about knowledge in the game versus knowledge outside the game, and it seems that there's another dimension here maybe that you guys can talk about, is games that have a very distinct set of setting rules and conventions, uh, uh, setting knowledge. And let's take, for example, Glorantha, or let's take, an example, Legend of the Five Rings. Mm-hmm. They both have a, a set of highly sort of detailed mm-hmm. internal rules, and... Uh, A, how does that play into what you're talking about? But B, when you have an imbalance in terms of that knowledge at the table, for example, Glorantha veterans versus non-veterans at the table, people who can play into those modes because they know them internally versus having to go to the sheet or L5R, they know the, the sort of Rokugani social codes versus don't, and how you balance that at the table without feeling like somebody's getting favoritism or not or getting an easier time. I mean that's the thing I've seen a lot of the books. So, right. I'm curious about your take on
0: that. That's a really tough challenge. Um, setting mastery, which is what I sort of—that's how I think about that. Setting mastery is going to vary a lot. Uh, some, if if it's a homebrew setting, for instance, nobody's going to have the setting mastery that the GM does. Um, and, and but even some of the players might. I mean. Uh, having differences among the players um, even in published settings when we played Dragon, I ran a Dragonlance campaign for quite a long time back in the three oh three five days and uh, we managed to come to some sort of a balance between there were a couple of us who really knew Dragonlance backwards and forwards and there were a couple of people who were newbies and there were a couple of people who genuinely did not care, they just wanted to play some d and um, I don't want to assign homework or d game. I don't want to say go home and read this novel, and then read that novel, and then read this setting book. And so, I, how did we how did we address that? Uh, help me out here. I, I guess we let the players who really have the setting mastery roll with that. If you want to, okay, you are now intricately involved in the politics of the Wizards of High Sorcery, um, and the players who didn't have that kind of a setting knowledge maybe they alright well your character's fitting into a role where maybe your character wouldn't have a great deal of setting knowledge you're from a little village in you know out in the country and you're, oh, I'm now in the big city what's the name of the city again Calanthus. oh right wait how do you how do you spell that um
3: we also we have a very cooperative and supportive group, and right. so I learned a ton about Dragonlance without ever having to read the first
0: three mm-hmm. novels.
3: It felt like a really great thing to me. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> you, you spared yourself some. <laughs> I was I some was, I Yeah, I was. I was too old for that at that <laughs> point. Um, and so I, but I learned an awful lot just from hearing the fans of Dragonlance fill in this world for me together as a group and to, to help me get ideas and to engage with it as Dragonlance, not just as generic fantasy. And I, mean, I learned enough to edit the world, so right. yeah, it was sufficient.
0: But as, as we talk about it, I think if you want you know, a technique to have in your back pocket for that is, is the choice of role and the character creation of yeah. if, if setting mastery is important in that game, mm-hmm. which it frequently is, for, if it's a really setting-focused game, Um, and one of the players does not have it, make sure their character doesn't either. And that will explain a lot of their stumbling and their, oh, right, I'm sorry, I just offended the, whoops, we should run now. Um, Then it's totally in character for them not to have that knowledge.
1: Yeah, I mean, in LARPs we do we, we have amnesia LARPs all the time because it's easy to then you know like you wake up and you don't know anything just like you as a player walking into this LARP <laughs> that's great, right? Uh, it, it, and so you know the fiction, the, like 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 the fiction is very important in this right. capacity. You, you can use it as all kinds of social alibis. And uh, the the other thing I wanted to say on that front is uh, if you have veteran players who know a world very well. Um, the burden is on them and not the novices to make sure the world is conveyed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, it, 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 so it has to, you know, other, otherwise you're just gatekeeping. Um, it, it, you, you, you have to kind of figure out how to bring in the other, um, uh, the, 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 the less experienced players and make that safe space, say that, that, that space safe for them. Um, and and which, which is tough when they when they don't have have all the knowledge, and so so it, it then means that you may have to not go to this explicit Glorantha like highly Glorantha nerdy zone, but rather stick to what you would see as the world's core traits and pull back your own. Um, nerdliness, which means then of course you know there'll be maybe another con- context where you just have to unleash it all but unfortunately this is this is going to be you 're going to have to actually socially mod- modulate your own world knowledge so that other people can feel
2: like they can walk in um, and and recognizing that um, you know what, what you said about the it's the responsibility of the veterans to help convey <clears throat> convey that sense of world that that setting um then also plays into the fact that the setting designer or the game master is the most knowledgeable veteran at the table, or at least should be if they're tackling that as a game, right? And I think where I would ask, and, and you know, how I was challenged myself is as a setting designer, what can you do as part of your setting to make that more accessible? Um, when, when we were working on Neurosia. And we said, well, we want it identifiable as trad fantasy. But at the same time, we do want to get a little bit of our Glorantha nerd on, right? And we do want to do some cultures and do some things that that are unique and have funny names. But it's still got to be accessible. And how can you structure that so that the presentation of that, when they encounter it... um, works and i was i I actually i was lucky enough to have a player in in one of my last erosia settings at a con who came up and he said you know when we started i was really concerned there are a lot of names you've got this whole card system for handling divine intervention and all the gods do different things and i was a little bit overwhelmed but then we started playing and every step of the way one new element got introduced organically to the story that by the end I knew who the gods were, I knew what was going on, and I, got, I started picking up on some of the subtle you know, clues that were in the background that were just, to a certain extent, dressing, mm-hmm. but now it had more meaning. And so he was able to engage by the end of that four-hour session going, that was really interesting. And I know that I could walk away in a couple more sessions saying, I get this setting. Not just, well, I, I know some names right. and there's some history, but I, I get the tropes and how the bad guys work and what's the big arc and what do I need to be worried about. And when I see something in, it, in, in an adventure, I get the context of that thing, not just recognizing it as, a, as an object. And I, and I, I certainly wouldn't pretend that, that I've done that in any kind of a perfect way, um, but that was my drive in structuring that. And it was certainly my first attempt at it. So I think that's one thing, whether you're working on a game for yourself and your players, um, or you're actually working on a setting is how can I make this engaging as quickly as possible without requiring someone to read? Right,
1: and, and, and Jason Morningstar, I think, is exemplary in that design capacity where, where most of his uh, games come with ephemera that immediately start bringing you into the environment yes. of the world. And, and so visual materials cannot be underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between me handing a character uh, to a player that's two to three pages long and they get to sit there and have alone time and figure out things versus me saying, here's a picture of your character on an adventure... Um, here are a few stats, and right. and and like here are here are your goals. Go, you know, and 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 then suddenly I'm um, I'm already integrating them into the mechanics of of the world, and you know, and, and of the storytelling beyond me having to just re- require an information dump that's then reprocessed and somehow fed back to me because you know it, it doesn't reflect also best learning, teaching, and learning practices to do this either. So
0: how how would you... This segues into uh, a a technique for allowing people who don't have setting mastery to gain it quickly. One way to do that is to give them uh, some sort of authorial uh, capability. Is No. um, Hey GM, how does this work? And the GM says, well, if if we're playing a role-based system, especially you're the wizard, you tell me... Where the where the wizard tower? Here's a map. Show me where the wizard tower is. Uh, uh, then that player will not only be uh, they'll, okay. I know where it is because I put it there. Uh, but will have some sort of investment in it then, because the oh, I'm, I'm I'm now interested in this. What what's this thing I created? Now, how do you how would that work in an explicit defined system? Well, or could it or should it or I
1: have had the case where you know I've said, "Show me where the Wizard's Tower is." It, it, actually, this it, it was more like, sh- "Show, show, show us where the the you know the cave of the Blood Gods are." Yeah, and this was, is this was in the Quiet Year, and um, the player drew a giant um, vagina, complete with clitoris, etc., on on the map, and then and, and then there was a blood pool coming out, it was a female player, but then like and. and, and it went, it went, you know, everyone is saying, like, we didn't have an X card, so we should have been like, what is going on here? But, then, but yeah. it is, this is this radical moment of world creation where it says, okay, so our post-apocalyptic world is... Uh, has has this element going on here, and 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 I was saying, okay, how do we then create that shared set of expectations so this doesn't lurch into the game? <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it, it's an extreme example, but it did happen, right? Where where some and and she was just in a mood that that day. But I mean, it, you know, in terms of uh, you know, like like she she wanted to to go there with sort of aggressive play. But then what what I think you can do again to push back with the world creation is. You know th- things like the Thirteenth Age and, and Numenera are also doing where you where you have these really beautiful pieces of artwork that you can, you know, point out things on a map and show people the forests. I mean, it, 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 there is a rhetorical persuasive power of having the big book with all the artwork in it, or, or 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 other bits of ephemera that you can point to, and the less that you have that there as as mm-hmm. as actual. Stuff to to indicate that this is real and you should care about it. Um, the more you should probably just see their own to their
2: own creational capacity. Yeah, I think um, Clark exploring that in, say, a setting like uh, Wilderlands of High Fantasy, right? The City State of the Invincible Overlord, which is an amazing setting. Mm-hmm. I've, I've run several campaigns there because of its. Structured sandbox nature. I have an entire world that's mapped out in five mile hexes, and every, you know, if there's something significant, it's on the map and it's got a write up. And it could just be a random layer, it could be whatever. So when you ask that question, you know, where is the wizard's tower in a setting like that? I still don't think it breaks anything, Mm -hmm. right? It just, but then it becomes part of the world. And I think the interesting potential in that situation is. Well, okay, yeah, I see that you only want it to be fifteen miles away from your comfortable city, but we also know that this wizard's tower um, you know is, is important for power reasons, something. Like so how can it persist unmolested, fifteen miles from your safe haven? Mm-hmm. right? What magics must be in place right well, well, the tower's probably invisible, and you know and there's all sorts so so I think you can riff on that. Mm-hmm. To then say, well, I know I want the tower to be secluded, or maybe there is a tower there and it's all broken down and there's this old door in in there. And if you know how to open the door properly, it actually goes to the pocket dimension where right. the real tower is, right. you know, kind of ghost tower of Inverness style. Um, so I, I think it comes down to ultimately um, how comfortable you are or your players are with that sort of thing. Um, Oh that sounds pretty high fantasy right to have yeah. a, this
1: inverted you know like, like like invisible alternate dimension uh tower which i think raises the question of how much do you uh how how much is your world building already have specific um narrative and and, and also um well, I was just going to yeah, say right, you would, couldn't do that in Erosia exactly. for metaphysical reasons, right? 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <clears throat> and, and so, so then, then, then you are negotiating with the power level of your own right. world, right? Every single time someone introduces something new into the fiction, um, and, and, and and which is why you then have to push back and say, "Here is the right. power level of the world," right? And and
0: right, and that gets to what you were. I think what you, if I am reading what you are saying there, rather
4: than saying just yes. yes what you're saying is you're establishing at the start that you can establish a fiction, but I'm all, almost always, the a GM, going to say yes, but... Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Classic
2: yes, but.
1: Yep. It, 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 the, the pushback is is for everybody's own good, because otherwise the setting is fancy. It's whatever everybody has decided it, it'll be, which is which is fine for some games, but if it's going to have a thick world, then the world mm-hmm. has right. to push back right. on any idea that anyone right.
0: has. Right, right. My, uh, my point was basically just if you have somebody who is, has the enthusiasm and interest to, to learn about the setting, but doesn't have, only has a, a novice understanding of it at a table of veterans, is giving them some authorial uh, control mm-hmm. um, to establish some elements of that setting uh, is one way to get them up to speed quickly. Up to speed is not quite what I mean, but, mm-hmm. but give them, oh, now you have some knowledge right. that, that nobody else had. Okay, you're the expert on the Wizard's Tower now because you know where it is and uh, what what's there. Why is it only 15 miles away from the you know right. the big port city, and and nobody goes and messes with it? Um, so I don't know. Did that you know, desk desk did that get near an answer desk. to you? Yeah, yeah.
2: and and I, and it, I, just to make one counter like I, I threw out there. Well, you couldn't create the pocket dimension tower in Erosia, except that you could, <laughs> and if you did then that means a whole bunch of other baggage associated with it. And that, w- that was actually something that had occurred in one of our playtest campaign. And I think the interesting aspect of structure is what happens when you choose to break it? What does it mean to break that structure? So I'm going to push back and then suddenly you don't. And the players are like, what? But that's not how you said it worked, is it? What's going on here? Oh my gosh. But then,
1: they, but then we're in, in classic
2: fictional tropes, right? right, 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 right. You know, right, the world right. is bigger than you thought. Right, it was. Right, exactly, yeah. and that's and that's set up the rules just to knock them down, right? <coughs> right, but it's you know you've got to choose your moments, right? right yeah, can't, yeah, yeah. It can't be every day, right?
4: Well, it, it, I, I hate butting in, but uh, and it, it, what brought me thinking about this is because the new we're going to do Thirteenth Age in Glorantha. One of the things in Thirteenth Age is when you make your character, you can just state one true thing about the world and I was like, okay, how does that work where you've already got a world that's highly detailed, highly highly presented, and they, they've had some discussions about, about how you're going to manage changing that. It's, it's essentially that, that the player, player statement's going to overwrite whatever the established yes. fiction is in a, in a dominant way. People already do this.
1: I mean, you know, every time everyone sits down to, to to do the hack, you know, there's there's imperfect information at the table, or somebody has like right, yeah. one one af- aspect, and you already do this. So making it explicit means that everybody who's going to engage, everyone at the table can engage with with a little bit of world tweaking, which also means that most of the world is still intact, and you can agree upon it. It's, it's the other way of of saying give people a little bit of freedom, so that then other major things can go unquestioned, and we don't have to keep Figuring out things,
0: you know, it strikes me that in um, thinking about this sort of thing, uh, uh, a player authority to uh, in world definition might even work better in a very explicit system because what's on your character sheet? What sort of things do you have dominion over? If you're the sage, you might have knowledge of these six very, very uh, specific things and maybe you can then state at an appropriate time a truth about one of those things but once you get outside of your lane you don't have okay i know a whole lot about this city and i know a lot about this particular tribe of hill barbarians and i know about ogres but i can't go and declare that that there's a you know a, a troll chieftain here because i don't know about that and that might both empower players to get creative in their area of expertise, but then keep them constrained from blowing up the whole world by mm-hmm. accident.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Any other questions? I have another one. That oh, please. I mean, I if, this is a conversation, so drive hey, on. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
4: what, what do you think um, about, you've mentioned this a little bit before, but we've seen a number of games that are using for sort of uh, resource costs uh, for doing that kind of explicit knowledge. I'm thinking of like uh, Gumshoot's Preparedness which is highly generic. Um, we see some games that do role-based preparedness so you you have a role and you can do a certain amount of retcon based on that. Uh, fate points in something like okay, you've got a bag, you can declare whatever's in the bag up to a certain point but eventually the bag gets filled so you're
2: you're writing those things in on that. What, what do you think the strengths or weaknesses are of that approach? Well, I think I think giving the players some kind of agency to influence the story when it needs to be influenced is important. Um, you know, our, our answer in Rosia when we were building on this explicit system that is the hero system. How do we get that agency? Well, we wanted the gods to be involved, so instead of giving them a pile of generic fate points, we gave them an equal number of explicit cards. I have the war god card, I have the healer god card, and I have the earth god card. And if I want to affect something within the game, I step out of my character, role play the god influencing that moment and justifying it thusly, right? And you've done two things there. As a player, you've changed things around to the way you need them to be or the way you think they should be. Um, but you've also now incorporated another set of characters into the moment, which the players uh, the players around the table can then build on. And so now suddenly it's not just the five players at the table, it's the five players plus these three gods. And if as a G- as a GM, you've done your preparation for the adventure those three gods may actually be the ones that are opposing what's happening in this adventure because these two gods want to see it successful, right? And so now you, you're, you know, you're starting to create a clash and there's a whole different level that the adventure evolves on. Now that's a that's neurosia specific thing, but I think it all comes down to player agency and being able to influence the moment um, in a way that makes sense for the setting. And I think the more those two can merge, um, the more interesting the experience becomes. It works great for Neurosia. I don't know if I could do the same thing in Cyberpunk and use like corporation cards, right? Because that would just seem creepy and weird.
1: But it's a question of genre and format, right? right? I mean, I I always say that you know, role-playing games are uh, you know, text designed to make groups of people make non-boring statements, right? And and that's I mean, and so so how do you you know say, well, okay, you've you've reached this thing, but you don't have the ten-foot pole, like. What's the, what's going on, you know, right, right, and, and, and crickets, you know, these, these, so so, um, in in it sounds like in your case, mm-hmm. uh, in Neurosia, there's there's a, a there's a capacity to elevate this tale to mm-hmm. a sort of epic level all of a sudden, and so suddenly, even it, when you're a farmer, exactly, it's, it's suddenly this, this sort of trivial conflict actually is playing out on larger levels of symbol, um, another uh system that allows you to, you know. Decide you actually do have that flamethrower with you is inspectors, which is the Ghostbusters reality show, and there you spend a token, go, go 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 into the interview booth and say, well, you know, before we went into the haunted house, I did remember to bring the flamethrower with me, right? And then suddenly, flamethrower's is there because whatever you say in the confessional booth is true, since it happened after the fact, and <laughs> um, and and at, the, at that point, then we're we're exploiting the format. To, 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 to inject meta-level uh, information in, in, into the fiction. So here you've got an epic god intervention, and inspectors, it's the, it's the player's future selves um, inser- inserting fiction in, and we, we, we make it true because of the, the genre that we're in. You
0: know, um, I'm, I'm often very tempted by to to, uh, to pick a technique that you mentioned of, okay, you have a backpack, tell me exactly what's in it uh, that on some level really appeals to me until I get to the table and I realize that I'm playing with five parents who most of whom have had really difficult days and um you know a hard day at work or the kids have been yelling and we're here to not think about that kind of stuff <laughs> um it's- I don't want to put people on the spot to remember the matches. Uh, and then punish them later for not having remembered that. Uh, especially if your character sheet... And this is where, on some level, role-based versus explicit is just a matter of scope rather than right. true difference in kind. Uh, okay, you're the tracker, so yeah, you're going to remember the matches, for, uh, which is very similar to, look, you have like six or seven ranks in survival. Yeah, you'd have remembered the matches. Um, I really like, in Fate, you have the shoot skill at Superb, okay, good, this not only means you can shoot a gun, this means you know how to maintain a gun. This means you probably have an NRA membership. This means you understand gun culture. This means all of this stuff that goes along with it uh, because that makes it interesting. That, that, that reveals you, you have invested some of your character mojo in knowing about guns, and that's not just shooting them. What else can we make interesting about that? Um, that's not an endorsement of the NRA or any particular political position about it. I should just say... <laughs> Especially that. since you're being recorded. Exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, guns kill people. Um, well, and I think another reason that that's important is that if I've decided guns
3: is really important to my character, I know nothing. And so you I'm You personally, you're saying. personal, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to need somebody else to help me fill that in. And so if it's my role, then people can be like, oh, yeah, you have this, or you would know this. i like awesome, fantastic, because
2: if I have to be the one who says what my character knows, my character's screwed. <laughs> well, we, we had a, in, in uh, playtest I ran last night, uh, we had a character who was playing just the fighter, so this is my Nova Punk setting, playing the fighter, and basically all that character does, all she has is guns. right? Shoot at five, mm-hmm. right? and then stuff to support it. Um, a plot point was spent to use shoot as rapport, um, so she saddled up to the big goon that had the you know, the M50 machine gun standing there on guard duty. She goes, "Well, that's a mighty fine piece of iron you got there." <laughs> Slides the plot point over, and they proceed to have a, a social engagement based off the shoot skill, right? Just going in, and that's you know, and that's 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 a wonderful thing yeah. that you can do. Kind of kind of circling around back back to your initial statement. Uh, the one question I would have with respect to the, the Glor- Gloranth and 13th age, um, what are you doing for icons? Are are you, are, are the, the, the icons, have they been pulled from the Glorantha setting? Um, and I say that because I, I, I did run a campaign of 13th age. And my initial reaction to this is, well, I already am running Neurosia, So uh, I don't, I don't need to engage into another game that has this meta level, but were I to do so, the icons would be what I would embrace for that meta intervention. I know because of the arch wizard of so-and-so or the Grand Fae or whomever um, that this is happening or their agents have done this as we arrive, you know that icon's agents are going away and the setting has changed in this moment because as a player, I want to see that happen, right? And my relationship with that icon essentially enable gives me the agency to make that definition. I can't do it scene after scene after scene, but um, that's one way to interpret kind of the relationship map that you end up with in in thirteenth uh, uh, age.
1: And, and you know, I mean, I mean, there are numerous systems do this. Thirteenth you know, age icons, uh, you, you know, are, are one one way of giving you the meta level, but you know, you, you have fiasco play sets, which will will also you know pre shape your play very very specifically it's, mm-hmm. and, and 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 you are already shutting out certain possibilities before you even come to the the table you're not bringing the dragon into the small town in iowa right it's just not it's not going to happen Whoa. although right 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 <laughs> but then it makes an event when it, when wow. it happens the, or, or oracles in um in a wicked age you know you have four different <laughs> you know intersecting threads and you'll do things with that but that's what the story's about. You've, you've already said that at the beginning. Yeah. And and I'm going to tell a tale of these four intersecting um, bits of fiction. And, it, it, you know, we, we always say, oh, well, that's just a premise. We'll see what happens in play. But actually, the premise is incredibly... It applies so much pressure on play. And so so you do actually have to have an initial agreement before you can then begin to become more adventurous and bring in outside and, and make make a few more open up the world a little more as you were saying
2: and i think my initial reaction and, and i have no idea if this is your initial reaction or not my initial reaction as an old school gamer is hell no the world is as it is suck it up drive on you either have your 10 foot pole or you don't and deal with it right how can you as a player become you know creatively overcome these challenges right but then I think you have to step back and say, well, what are we trying to, to create collectively? And where can you, as a GM, share some of that load, right? And, and, and there's a balance. You know, Neroja isn't as narrative heavy as, as it would be in the upcoming Fate version, right? Because, but those are two different styles of play. And, but they're still built on the same premise that the, the player agency is ultimately divinely driven, and I th- and and that's what kind of keeps it cohesively together. And I think that's where you have to find where's your balance, how am I going to how am I going to retain the feel of Galantha as many people recognize it, you know, going back to BRP um and what their expectations for it are. And then how am I going to embrace some of, you know, the modern shift and can we make a better game? Or are they coming from HeroQuest version of Galantha? Right. We're just about out yep. of time.
0: Are there any other questions or comments or anecdotes or complaints?
2: Cheese plates. All
1: right. Thank you for for Thanks. being the four, uh, the mighty four or five actually, and <laughs> and and um, and you've been a great audience. Thank and you. and
2: thank you, gentlemen, for your perspective. I really help. Of course. Uh, yes. Appreciate the help at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, <laughs> and uh, I actually got what I wanted out of this panel. So excellent. Uh, I, I very much appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks.
3: Thanks.